this morning to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. We're going to dive right in. But I need you also to turn to Luke chapter number 4. So if that's too hard, the front of your sermon outline there has Mark 6. So just do Luke chapter number 4. If you can't find Luke chapter number 4, just listen and you'll be able to figure it all out and that'll be good. It's good to have Kathy here today with us. And she brought her husband along too. And Terry and Kathy were here a long time, my friends, and then they move away over by Moreno Valley. They went to Egypt is what they did, and then they decided to come back to the promised land for a service today. And I heard they were moving, and I thought they were going to move back to the promised land, but they're going to stay out of the Lord's will for now and just stay over near. Hemet is like Egypt. That's what it reminds me of. So I'm just teasing, but it's great to see you too, and there's much love for you too, and we miss you guys around here. Well, at least you, Kathy, you brought such a sweet spirit. Terry, that was more, uh, Terry, no, I'm just giving you a hard time. If I didn't give you a hard time, Terry, you wouldn't know that I actually cared about you. So you like me giving you a hard time. There are certain people, if I don't give them a hard time, they just expect it. And Terry, it's been like almost, what, a year and a half since? I, you came to our anniversary service in September. Did you get your T-shirts? You got your T-shirts nine months later. You got it, right? Did you, did, did you, did you? Did you have to pay for it? <laughs> no. So thank you. You're welcome. And so we're good. So yes, it took a little longer than what it should have, but if, if you would have just been coming to church here, you would have gotten it the f- three weeks after. So it's kind of on you. So no. And, um, actually, it's, it's all me. We'll just leave it there and we'll leave it alone there. Luke chapter number four. You say, why are we in Luke? We're in the book of Mark. I'm glad you're paying attention to that. Last week, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter and tells him not to tell anyone and go get her some food. Chapter 6, Jesus returns to his hometown where he grew up. This is not the first time he's been to Nazareth. It's the second time. I want to show you in Luke chapter number 4 how it was the first time Jesus was back home. So Luke chapter number 4, look with me in verse number 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. I love that, that his custom was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. A great custom for the people of God today is to go to church on Sunday. That's a, that would be a good custom, right? I think that's a good custom. Jesus had a custom, good custom for us. We'll leave that alone there and keep on going. And it says, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And all and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened to him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And they all bear witness and wondered at those gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard, 
done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, and unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, the city of, a city of Zidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the times of Elias, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all them, all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up, and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon the city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. And he, passing through there, the midst of them, went his way. Home sweet home, huh? Tells them who he is, and by the end, they are trying to kill him. They literally want to throw him off the edge of the cliff and kill him. He gets away. A year later, Mark chapter 6 happens, about that time. Now, to me, if my hometown wanted to kill me and throw me off a cliff, I'm not going back again. That's just me, you know. But we see the graciousness of the Lord. The fact that he came back again. And aren't you glad this morning that the Lord is gracious to us? Aren't you glad he's given you more than one chance? I am glad of that this morning. I'm glad he's given me multiple chances. I'm grateful for that. And that's what he does here. He gives them another chance. We look at Mark chapter number 6, verse number 1. And he went from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, oh, it's his custom. Where does he go on the Sabbath day? His custom continues, I guess. It's a year later. He began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching, Father, we need your help this morning. Pray that you'd help us, guide us this morning. Help us get something from this passage today. I pray those listening online that they'd be attentive and there might be a few things that I say this morning that some people might not like to hear. But just because they might not like to hear it doesn't mean that it's truth. You are the only way to heaven. That's it. These people were offended by some of your words. And the gospel does offend some people. But it doesn't make it nonetheless true. Pray to guide our direction this morning. My thoughts help us to focus in on your word. 
and to leave here different because of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Something that I noticed that's interesting as we begin this passage here, if you, do you remember how when Jesus went to the other side and healed the maniac of Gadara, he comes back to Capernaum and there's crowds of people just waiting for him, right? Well, we read here that these people here in Nazareth, they heard in verse number 2, the end of it, it says that they had, look at these mighty works, how does he do these? They, they want, they'd heard about what had taken place. Most of the places where Jesus went, there were crowds of people following him everywhere and crowding to get to him. No one was waiting for him in Nazareth. In fact, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. They just kind of ignored him, really, if we're looking at the text and you look at what it says. And so as we dive in here today, this visit to the synagogue and the way the people responded to the message of Jesus is what I want to focus in on this morning for the message. And so, as we think about this passage, number one this morning, the people were shocked by his preaching. We read verse number two, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? You see, when the people heard him, the Bible says here, they were astonished. This word means to be seized with panic, to be struck with terror, to be stricken and startled and suddenly alarmed. When they heard Jesus speak, they were filled with fear. It's interesting that a lot of this had happened up to this point. Think about the disciples and that storm that they were in on the boat, and Jesus calms the storm, and they were more fearful at Jesus for what he had just done than the storm they were in themselves. The maniac of Gadara, the people of that area feared that man, I'm sure. But Jesus heals that man. They see that man sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And they wanted Jesus to leave. They're more fearful of him. And so he's preaching in the synagogue, and the people were shocked by his preaching. They were filled with fear. They immediately began to speak among themselves and talk about three areas of the Lord's ministry that consumed them here. Letter A we see his words. His words. When Jesus preached, he did so with grace and charm. I think about if, where we read there in Luke, the first time he was in the synagogue there in um, Nazareth. It says he talked with gracious words. Do you remember that phrase that was mentioned there? His words were filled with divine authority. He spoke like no one ever spoke in the synagogue before. See, those in the synagogue, they just repeated what they had heard. They just read the scripture. There was not a lot there behind what was done. A lot of rituals, if we're being honest. But Jesus spoke, and he spoke as one having authority. He spoke in ways that they had never heard before. And, and when we think about that, we think about in John chapter number 7, verse 46, never a man spake like this man spake. No one had been in the synagogue and spoken like Jesus before. They were astonished at that. They were astonished at his words. They were astonished, letter B, at his wisdom. His wisdom. It says there, it says, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? Jesus' words that he spoke, they were filled with wisdom. They were filled with truth. And the people heard him declaring old truth in new ways. They listened as he taught them spiritual truths 
by using common everyday things around them. It was amazing to them. And they knew the fact Jesus grew up here. They knew he didn't have no Bible college training. He didn't go to any school. He's a carpenter. They even talk about that. Where did this carpenter get all this wisdom from? How does he speak like this? He was just a carpenter. This is Mary's son. Look at his brothers. They don't speak like this. His sisters, they don't speak like this. He had quite the wisdom. They, they were astonished at it. Let her see his works. They'd heard of what had taken place other places. The Lord's fame was spreading throughout the region. They had heard about the miracles that he performed elsewhere. They couldn't believe that a young man from their hometown were, was doing the miracles that were attributed to him. The people of Nazareth could not believe what they were hearing and who they were hearing it from. And they literally sat there shocked, mouth wide open, a little fearful. I knew this boy when he grew up. I remember him playing ball with his brothers. I remember him, he bought that piece of, he built that piece of furniture in my house. They were astonished and shocked by this. They heard what Jesus had to say, but they just didn't let it sink in completely. They had a hard time with it. Do you know, church, people still have a hard time with the message of the gospel today. When you read the Bible and study the message of the gospel, it can cause you to be astonished. Consider some of these claims that the Bible makes. Are you ready? Number one, all people are sinners. All people. Terry, that includes you. All people are sinners. All. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible makes the claim that all people are sinners. Some people have a hard time swallowing that. But if they have a hard time swallowing that, they have a real hard time with number two. All sinners are headed for a place called hell. That's a claim the Bible makes. That's not politically correct in our day and age today. All people are sinners, and all sinners are headed to a place called hell. That is Bible. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Number three, there is only one way to be saved from sin and its penalty. That really bothers a lot of people. That's so narrow-minded. Why are you saying your way is better than my way? Let's make sure we understand something clear. It's not my way. My way is what's gotten me in trouble my whole life. My way is not, it's not my way, it's his way. And there's only one way to be saved. There is no other way. There are many people trying many different roads today to find a way to salvation. And all those roads end up in the same place if that road is not Jesus Christ. 
There's only one way. What about my religion? I don't care about your religion this morning. I don't care about my religion either. Being a Baptist got no one into heaven. But John the Baptist baptized Jesus. If that's why you're a Baptist, you got issues this morning. We'll just leave that one alone right there. Number four. People have a hard time with this. All other religions in the world are false religions, and they all lead to hell. That's Bible. If you believe in anything other than Jesus Christ, you are headed towards hell. People don't like that. But I don't preach what people like. I preach what the book says. But there are good, peop- there are good people all over the place, right? There are. People strive to be good, but our goodness is not good enough. You need Christ. Why are you getting all quiet on me this morning? I wonder, is there someone in this room that's believing in something other than Jesus Christ for salvation? You should feel a little uneasy if that's how it is this morning. But those of you who know Christ, you should be okay with this because this is the Bible. And if the world doesn't like it, they're not going to like it. They didn't like it in Jesus' day. They're not going to like it today. It's the truth. Now, when I witness to someone and I share the gospel, I don't just lead in with this, okay? You can be a little bit more gracious, okay? You're going to hell. That's not the way to start out the conversation, okay? And I've seen people do that. That is not the way to do it. We see Jesus use gracious words. Be gracious in how you speak. But for sake of time, I'm just laying it right out on the bottom shelf. Number five, the only way for anyone to be saved is for them to place their faith in a man who lived, died, and rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago. That's it. And in case you didn't understand, that's Jesus. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. There is no way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. Your religion can't get you there. Your works can't get you there. Your baptism can't get you there. Nothing you and I can do in ourselves can get us there. It is through Jesus Christ. And let's be even more honest, okay? The faith that we have to receive him isn't even our faith. It's a gift given to us from God. Can a dead man have faith? Think on that one for a minute. Can a dead man do anything? Can a dead man receive grace? No, right? But God, think about this. The fact, the day that you, the conviction of your heart came, as the scripture was being read to you. How can a dead spirit have conviction? It's all God. It's a gift that God gives to us. It's, he did all the work. He did everything for us. He gives us what we need to get saved. There's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. This world has a hard time with that. Imagine if I were to post those five things in the local newspaper. Imagine some of the blowback I would get. But it's true. It's Bible. If you'll notice, there are verses in your notes there with each of those points. Because if you don't agree with me on these things, you need to check your Bible. And I would check your Bible anyways. Just because a pastor says something doesn't mean I believe everything a pastor says because a pastor's human and a pastor doesn't always know everything. 
and this pastor has a lot he's got to learn still. Study it for yourself. That's why, that's why I give you handouts so you have verses so you can read it for yourself. You're supposed to study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needs not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Just a little side point there this morning. Thanks, so just remember that. But what happens is these claims that we make from the word of God, they condemn this world. And when you think about that, people who hear those things do like what they did in Jesus' day. There are some who will receive it and some who don't. But we see the people here, number one, this morning, the people were shocked by his preaching. And still to this day, the gospel shocks people. Number two, number two, we're going somewhere. Don't lose me this morning. Number two, the people stumbled over his person. They stumbled over his person. As the people of Nazareth heard his message that he was preaching, they rejected Jesus because they said they knew everything about him already. We know this kid. I know his mom. I know his brothers. I know his sisters. He's a carpenter. They thought they knew everything there was to know about him already. They had seen him play as a child, they knew his family. They thought they knew him. They knew he never had any training, didn't go to any divinity schools, whatever the case may be. In all honesty, you look at that verse, verse number three, and where they say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And they go through these things. Basically, they're saying, we know who you are. Why should we listen to you? You're no different than us. That's the gist of what they're saying right here. You're no different than us. And what we see is the Bible says that the people were even offended by him here. That has the idea to cause to stumble or to be repelled to the point of abandonment. Because the people could not explain Jesus, they refused to listen. They couldn't see past him being a carpenter, being Mary's son, to receive the doctrine that he was trying to teach them. And these people do... What all people do when they don't understand someone, they resort to ridicule. Here's a good quote for you today. Ridicule is the final refuge of a small mind. One more time. Ridicule is the final refuge of a small mind. They called him the son of Mary. To you this morning, that might not look like much. But let's put this in context for where it's at. Even when a dad has died, you always would call him the son of Joseph. That's how, what the custom was. And Joseph, by this time, had died. And in fact, when we were in Luke, it said the son of Joseph, right? Why does it say here, the son of Mary? To call a boy, or the son of his mother... They were implying that that mother played the harlot to have that child. That's what they were doing right here. They were throwing into question the very birth of Jesus. Which, he was conceived by a virgin, right? It was an unusual birth. But they're attacking him right here. 
You might not see that on the outside looking in, but look at the customs of the day. It's very easy to see that that's what's going on. And as we look here, and the people of that day rejected the notion that he was born supernaturally through a virgin womb. And over and over again, his birth was brought into question. The people of Nazareth could not explain Jesus, so they reacted to his words, his wisdom, his works with contempt and ridicule. And in verse number 2, you can kind of hear the contempt in their voices. From whence hath this man these things? Where did he get this stuff from? That's literally what they're saying. The people of Nazareth just couldn't explain him. This state of mind is still in our world today. People reject what they cannot easily explain. When it comes to Jesus... There is much that cannot be explained to people's satisfaction. And they want more answers. People seem to have, pe not, most people don't have a problem with a little manger. And a little baby Jesus there and things. But you say that he was born of a virgin, people have a problem with that. Some people don't even have a problem with just a cross. Or a dead guy hanging on a cross. But you say that he died, he rose again, and that he's coming again? People don't like that as much. They have a harder time accepting those things. If your concept of who Jesus is stops with a baby in a manger or a dead man on a cross, you're missing everything. you got to come to the place in your life where you believe that Jesus Christ is is the Son of God. That's what John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You must understand that He died for your sins and that He rose again. Romans 10, verse number 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible says, right? You've got to believe that Jesus is who he says he was. He's more than just a baby that was born in a manger. He's more than just a man that died on a cross. He's the sinless son of God that died for the sins of mankind, and he rose again. You've got to believe in him. He's the only hope that we have. Let me help you out this morning. I'm doing a series on Wednesday nights on questions and answering some questions from the Bible. I'll never answer all the questions there are about the Bible because I don't have all the answers. You'll never answer all the questions from the Bible either because you don't have all the answers. There's only one who has all the answers. He's the one who wrote it, God. And uh, none of us are to his level. His ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. His, his worst thought doesn't even compare to the best thought we have ever we ever have his worst way which is always good is is way better than the best thing we ever do you're never going to fully understand him like people pastor explain the trinity to me i can try all day long you're never going to fully understand it you're not are they all three one yes are they all three separate yes do you believe in the trinity yes 
Why? Because the Bible says so. But, so if God's one, and but Jesus called God Father, but he's separate from him, but he's one with him, yeah, you're never going to figure it all out. Don't even try. Don't even try. Just if the Bible says it, believe it. You'll be okay. We have a bunch of people that believe we came from monkeys because a guy said it. And we accept that. It's amazing. A book says in the beginning, God created everything. People have a hard time accepting that. Some of you look like a monkey, and we'll, le we'll leave that one alone right there. <laughs> but <laughs> it's much easier to believe in creation than it is evolution. It's much easier to take God at his word. You can trust him today. Put your faith. And this is the thing. If he answered all your questions, where would faith come into play? Where would it come into play? What I don't understand does not prevent me from acting on what I do understand. Before we go any further into point number three, I was just doing some serious thinking. And the people here, they totally missed who Jesus was. They missed it. The core doctrine of everything that we believe is what you believe about Jesus. If you want to say at the end of the day, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Lutheran, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, I really don't care, okay? I really don't. That doesn't matter to me. Because in all honesty, you could pick bits and pieces from all of them, and there's good things all over the place. But what it comes down to is this. What do you believe about Jesus? That's what matters. Nothing else matters in that realm. There are other things that are important, but the most important thing in the world is what you believe about Jesus. What matters in this world today is what people believe about Jesus. What mattered in Nazareth on this day is what they believed about Jesus. It's been the same question all the way through history till now. What do you believe about Jesus? I want to give you some thoughts on what I believe about Jesus from what the Word of God says. Number one, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Period. He is. No ands, ifs, or buts. John 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Period. Number two, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I believe it. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. The Bible tells us, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. The book of Luke, we see Mary, and we think about her, and, these, and she said, How am I going to have a child seeing I know not a man? The Bible made it clear over and over again, before they came together, the Bible says. And you see, why is the virgin birth important? Because the bloodline comes from the dad. And if Joseph was Jesus' father, then Jesus would be a sinner just like you and me, and him dying on the cross would have done nothing more than any average man that ever died on a cross. It did nothing. But the fact that the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary, and Mary had a son whose name is Jesus, the Son of God, and he was born of a virgin, 
identifies his perfection, and he was sinless, which leads us to the next point. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He did. You don't believe that, then you have no Savior. He lived a sinless life. We, what was point number one? Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Let me ask you a question. Can God sin? No. No, no, no. He can't. God cannot sin. And I know there are people out there that say, well, what if Jesus would have sinned when the devil tempted him? He was not going to sin. He's God. Get that through your head. He's God. God cannot sin. Jesus Christ is God. Period. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Bible tells us Hebrews 7.26, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. 1 Peter 2.22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 1 John 3.5, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. You'll notice something this morning. I'm giving you doctrine. This is the doctrine of Jesus this morning. And I'm giving you handout on it, and I'm giving you verses. Every Christian should have this settled in their mind. And if you don't believe these things, I might wonder about your salvation. Because your salvation comes in the guy we're talking about right now. Think on that one. Number four. Jesus Christ died for my sins on a cross on a hill called Calvary. That's what the Bible says. I know that, and someday, I was thinking about it, and we're probably in the fall. In the fall, remember these words. We're going to start planning. We're going we're to plan a two- to three-year time of saving money and have a church trip to Israel. We're going to do it. So we'll start saving money, we'll plan it, and we'll do a church trip, our church, to Israel, whoever wants to go. We need to do it. I want to go. I've been wanting to go. I hate flying. Uh, some one of you will have to knock me out for the flight, but we'll do it, okay? So in the fall, we will figure out the pricing of it all, and we'll start saving, and then a year or two down the line, we'll do it, all right? So you heard me say that out loud, and if I, by the fall, we don't have that starting plan, someone remind me about that, okay? And uh, so he died for our sins on a cross, on Calvary. I don't care if they think they know that hill, that that's the hill. The Bible says he died on Calvary. That's where he died, on Golgotha. That's where he died. He was on a cross. I don't know if they have, the real, if they have his crossing, which they don't. I believe that he died for my sins. He died on a cross because the Bible says so. That settles it for me. Number five, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead three days later. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's what the Bible says. I don't believe that he died and he rose one day later. I don't believe he died and he rose two days later. I believe he died and he rose three days later. Not four, five, six, three. You say, does it matter? He rose. That's the main thing. But it says three days. 
So the Bible says three days. I'm just going to go with what the Bible says. And if that means Good Friday can't be true, then maybe it's not, okay? And maybe it is. Maybe you can get three days from Friday to Sunday. I don't know. You can figure that out yourselves for me. Next. Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven and is set down at the right hand of God the Father. He's making my mansion and he's interceding for us today before the Father. I believe it. That's what the Bible says. I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe that Jesus is born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. I believe that he died for my sins on the cross. I believe that he rose again three days later. And I believe he ascended back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God right now. And I believe next, number seven, that Jesus Christ is coming back again to this world to receive his people unto himself. And his coming back begins with the rapture and it ends with his second coming to earth where he comes to rule and to reign. But I believe that he's coming again. There are many people who scoff at that and mock. When's he coming? The, the Bible says he's coming. He's coming. He doesn't wait for our timing. He comes when he's ready. And it's not time yet. But when it's time, he will come right on time. Didn't we talk about that last week? I think we did. Jesus Christ, he's coming again. Praise God for it. Number eight, I believe that Jesus Christ is the king of kings and that he's the Lord of lords. Bible tells us in Revelation 19, verse number 16, and he had on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I believe he is King of Kings. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. And here we go, lastly. Number nine, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only door to salvation. He's the only way to life. He is the only truth. And apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope, there's no salvation, there's no heaven, there's no nothing without Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. Is that what you believe? I hope that's what you believe. That's what the Bible says. And you should be able to share with people what you believe. Sad thing is, most people don't even know what they believe. I believe Jesus. That's good. It's like the kids, they get done with Sunday school and we ask them, what did you guys learn today? We learned about Jesus. That's what I figured. You're at church. If you don't learn about Jesus, yeah. I'm glad you learned about, what did you learn about Jesus? Oh, I'm not sure, but we learned about Jesus, yeah. Let's stand outside the door one of these days. What did you guys learn in church? We learned about Jesus. See, that would work today, right? That would work out just fine. Where are we at on time? Whew, 11.15, I got carried away on Jesus. We got carried away with Jesus all day today. I think that's all right. Point number three, I'm just going to give you the points real quick, and we're going to be done right here. Number three, the people were shunned by his power. What do you mean by that? Look at verse four through six. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. And he could there do no mighty works, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, them and he marveled because of their unbelief and he went around about the villages teaching let me give you the last couple points letter a the people rejected jesus and they rejected his message
I think Jesus' response about a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. I think familiarity breeds contempt is a good way of wording that. And you get to listen to a 30, 40-minute message, and I tie some things together, but I want you to understand something. Throughout the week, and as the Lord's working on my heart through a message, he, he gets me and convicts me all the time. There was a convicting thought I had here that's not part of the message, but I want to give it to you real quick. The fact is, these people thought they knew Jesus well. And sometimes we get so familiar with things, we lose the specialness of it. We lose, for the Lord, it's like we lose the awe factor of him. You know, I've been singing for years the song, Victory in Jesus. I could sing it with my eyes closed. I could sing every word of that entire song. Sometimes we get so familiar with songs and things, we lose the whole message in it. Do you, are you so familiar with the Lord that you've lost that awe for Him? Do you sing and you've been singing the same songs for so long, they just don't mean anything anymore? They should mean something. He's worthy. When someone gets saved in church, have you lost the awe of someone coming to Christ? Have you lost the awe of God working in your heart? Or the awe of someone getting baptized? The awe of children filling an auditorium to hear, be at vacation Bible school? Have you lost that? Sometimes we get so familiar with the things, like they were so familiar with Jesus, they missed out on him doing many mighty things. Do we really crave his presence in our services? I know people quote often, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's a verse on church discipline, if we're being honest, where that's that in the Bible. People like to use that verse, and I do believe that God meets with his people. I'm a firm believer in that. But do we get to the point where we don't need his presence anymore? If you look at that Laodicean church, he was at the door knocking to come in. He wasn't knocking to come into the hearts of people. He was knocking at for the church of Laodicea. I'll come in, I'll sup with you, and you, if you'll let me in. Do we get so cold to the things of God that we're like the people in Nazareth? That should never be that way. When someone comes to pray at an altar and God's working on their heart, are you cold to those things? We shouldn't be cold to that shouldn't be cold to singing songs about the Lord, coming to church. But sometimes we take all those things for granted. It's amazing. COVID hit last year and those few weeks that we didn't have church, people really missed it. And we come back the first few weeks, they were always here. And then now we're back to doesn't matter. And let's make sure go on, you need to, some of you, some of you haven't been on vacations in a long time. I'm going to urge you Take some time and go somewhere and do something with your family. Please, get a break. Do something. Go somewhere. And we will, we're going to be gone in a couple weeks. But for us, wherever we go on Sunday morning, we'll go to church Sunday morning somewhere. That's what we do. You figure out with God what you do, and you do you, you, do you. But for me, I don't take a break from God when I go on vacation. But you do need to get some time away. But when you're here, we can't lose the awe of what God's doing. 
God's doing a work. And God wants to continue to do a work, but God, Capernaum could have been Nazareth. All the people that were healed and all the things that happened could have happened in Nazareth. But because of the familiarity and what they thought they knew about him, Jesus did not do many great works, which leads to the letter B. And I told you I was finishing. I really am. I really am. B says, because of their unbelief, Jesus was unable to perform many miracles there. Now, those with the faith and healing and the prosperity gospel and things, they love that little thought right there. Because if they would have just had faith, you know, you could be healed if you just had faith. But God is sovereign. He doesn't need your faith or unbelief. He can work wherever he wants. But I do know this, where he's not wanted, he doesn't stay. I think that's very obvious about the Lord. They didn't want him. He didn't stay. When he was over with the maniac in Gadara in that area there, they didn't want him. He left. But I love how even on his way, though, he healed a few people. And he went teaching other places. And then letter C. When Jesus saw the depth of their rejection in verse number 6, he marveled at their unbelief. We're only told twice in the Gospels that Jesus marveled at something. And to marveled, we're not talking about the Marvel movie series, okay? It means to stand in wonder and amazement. Jesus marveled twice. The first time was the faith that the centurion had in him. The second time was the lack of faith that they had in him here. So the two times that Jesus marveled, he had to do around faith. So when the Lord looks at us and looks at our church, does he marvel because of our strong faith in him and what he can do? Or does he marvel at our unbelief in him? Maybe there's someone here watching online this morning or saying in this service, you need to get saved. We cannot coexist. It doesn't work that way. All roads don't lead to the same place. There's only one road that leads to heaven. There's only one door, there's one way, there's one truth, and Jesus Christ is that truth. And I've had someone tell me before, you're very arrogant to say that your way is right. I'll say it just one more time this morning. It's not my way. It's his way. And it's not my job to mess with his way. His way is the right way. And you can try whatever way you want, but I'll guarantee you this, his ways are right. His way is the way you want to go. Father, we thank you.